Hello, and thank you for listening to this Fun Board Council podcast. This is a 15-minute excerpt of our longer podcasts, and the full podcasts are available exclusively to Fun Board Council members via their member portal. If you like what you hear and you'd like to find out more about membership, please do contact us via our website at funboards.org. In the meantime, happy listening. A very warm welcome to this uh, FBC's digital meeting, and in fact, our final digital meeting of 2020. Uh, but don't worry, there'll be plenty more to come in 2021. Um, it seems fitting that perhaps uh, of all the wide range of topics uh, and governance topics that we've covered over the last 12 months or so, uh, we should perhaps end the year discussing the one topic that has no doubt occupied more than a few waking hours of uh, many a board member in the last year or so, uh, and that is, of course, assessment of value. Um, it's certainly occupied many of our waking hours here at FBC as we've thought about how we can help provide insights, share learnings and share some emerging good practice uh, with our members. And that's why much of our year has been taken up with developing FBC's uh, assessment of value report bank, uh, where you'll be able to find all the reports that have been we've been able to track down so far. And over the course of 2020, we've analysed, I think, she's sort of close to about 200 or so reports um, in order to be able to provide our members with some principles around the emerging best practice that we've seen um, and a benchmarking of their own reports. We've also hosted sessions directly with the regulator on this topic, um, most recently a couple of weeks or so ago, when uh, Nick Miller and Gary Murdoch from the FCA provided INEDS with um, their initial feedback and findings from the early reviews that they've been doing of the assessment of value reports. And I think it's fair to say there was a lot that came out of that meeting. So uh, I'd certainly encourage any of you who are members to, uh, to have a look at the meeting recording and uh, notes in our member portal, because there's a lot of good insights from that, uh, from that session. So that's the background. Uh, now, in the course of, uh, I think, fast approaching the 30 or so meetings that we've ha already held with firms to, to talk uh, about their own reports and provide feedback on their reports, a key point of discussion that's come up in those conversations is about how that feedback and emerging best practice is feeding into how firms are thinking about embedding the value discussions into business as usual, and particularly as they think about uh, what year two's report is going to look like, and hence the reason for setting up this meeting. And crucially, if one of the uh, aims of the assessment of value exercise was to try and engage clients in the value discussion a bit more, um, it seemed important to us to try to understand a little bit more about intermediaries reaction to these reports. And so FBC has got together with Lancat, the marketing and communications uh, consultancy uh, who work amongst others with, with platforms and advisors to put some questions around assessment of value to a panel of intermediaries um, to try and get some of their perspectives on the first round of assessment of value reports. And we're delighted to welcome today to today's discussion, uh, Mike Barrett, who's the consulting director at Lancat, uh, who's gonna be talking us through some of those key findings from that research a little bit later on. We're also delighted to welcome uh, Brandon Horwitz, uh, who's been living and breathing assessment of value, I think it's fair to say, Brandon, for, for a long while now, having worked on reports for a number of firms as a consultant and the principal of non-bomb consulting. Uh, he's also an advisor to FBC and a non-executive director in his own right, uh, and among his board roles, he sits on the board of a corporate pension services company and life assurance uh, business. So a very warm welcome to you both. Thank you very much indeed for joining us and for, for giving us your insights. I'm going to hand over to Shiv in a second or so, uh, but just to say, if you'd like to ask any questions, please do type them into the Q&A box. Uh, we're going to be running the session all the way through, but we'll make sure to leave plenty of time towards the end so that we can uh, spend a, a good bit of time trying to cover as many of your questions as we possibly can. 
So with that, Shiv, I'll hand over to you. Thank you, Catherine. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. And gosh, we have a full house uh, this afternoon. Uh, Brandon, is there anything you don't actually do apart from consulting AOV and everything else that you've, uh, that Catherine just referenced? Um, you and I and all of us, we've talked about assessment of value incessantly for the last 12 months, and it's hard to believe we're almost at the end of the first year of reporting. I think there are another maybe 20 odd, 30 odd reports that are due between now and uh, the end of January, which will sort of mark the, the end, the formal end of the first year. We've looked at close on, as Catherine said, 200 reports. We've had multiple meetings across uh, the industry. So everyone's starting to think about year two and what should year two look like? Year one was tough for some, it was easier for some others. Um, but before we talk about year two and what it, what it might bring, um, can you just reflect for us a little bit about your own views on how year one went broadly for the marketplace? Thank you, Shiv, and um, afternoon, everybody. I think, from my perspective, I would say year one has gone very well. Uh, there's, there's a lot of evidence that firms have engaged with the process. Um, and I'd say the proof is in the pudding in that we've seen a lot of remedies. Uh, and those remedies include the obvious, like some charges coming down on funds. We've seen investors being moved to lower charging share classes. And we've also seen a lot of scrutiny of underperforming strategies and um, action being taken to look to actually address that. Having said that, um, not all fund managers will have, will have concluded that remedies were required. And there are skeptics, uh, and, and we've all seen speculation in the press about something like 90% of individual funds have been deemed to be delivering value. And uh, people are asking the question, well, you know, how can that be so? But from my perspective, assessment of value has been a resounding success because it's put value and the customer front and center at the board table. Um, where you could argue they've been absent um, and, and, and haven't actually been there before. If I had to choose one word to, to describe year one, it would be evolution. There's very stark differences between the first value statements and the ones that we've seen in recent weeks. The first ones were very legalistic. Um, they were quite thin, very, from a tone perspective, a bit more like a, a legal uh, mandatory type of document. And they really just gave us this is the outcome at a very, very high level. And uh, it was very text-based, maybe the old table, if you were very lucky. More recently, we've seen a much more customer-focused style. We've seen much more showing of workings by firms as to how they've actually got to where they've got to. And it's been much more engaging. We've seen some, some great infographics. We've seen much more use of charts. We've even seen videos being embedded uh, or being provided with the value assessments. So definite change in style. Um, and in the absence of any feedback from the regulator, we've all been looking over each other's shoulders and, and organically best practices are, are, starting to, uh, are starting to emerge. I would argue though, that we should actually celebrate not just the fact that um, the value assessments are getting a bit easier on the eye, but again, the customer and values is very much at the table. And we're seeing this where it counts. We're seeing this in the MI packs, which are coming up to boards. Not very glamorous, but we all know a good MI pack can, can really change what gets discussed and, and what gets done. And, and customer or conduct focused metrics are, are very much at the table. Um, for firms which have some sort of line of sight to their customers, we're seeing customer satisfaction, complaints, net promoter scores actually being looked at and discussed. Even heavily disintermediated fund managers are getting some MI on who's holding their funds and what they're doing. But probably even more importantly, 
performance is being looked at differently. Performance is being looked at from the perspective of the customer. So for example, net performance, believe it or not, might not have been discussed at boards. Uh, and I, I know I might be stating the obvious to people, but in a lot of cases, people try to talk about gross performance without charges, or they cherry picked the share class, which you know perhaps didn't have such high, high charges. And Shiv and I had a conversation recently with a director who said it was eye-opening to have a performance discussion where you actually looked across all the share classes and not just one. And just one final point I would make is, is COVID has impacted year one uh, in the same way it's impacted all of us. And I certainly know one of my clients was very grateful for that two month extension, but we're not gonna get it next time round. So uh, def definitely time to get our engine started. Thank you, Brandon. Yes, it's, uh, it's, hard to, it's hard to gauge what year one should have or would have looked like. And I think, as you rightly point out, I think for many, it's been, it's been a very positive experience. You, talked, you touched on the C word, the client or the customer. Now, um, we're going to get uh, Mike to tell us a whole lot of things about uh, the work they've done. But before we talk to Mike about uh, the work he's done for us, um, can, you just, can you just spend another minute or two talking about how really has the end consumer, the end client, who frankly, I, my suspicion is, is blissfully not aware of any of this that's been going on. How have they benefited? Could you break that out for us a little bit? Absolutely. And, and I think at its very simplest, it comes back to pounds and pence. And where, where there have been remedies taking place, we've seen examples of anything from a few basis points to, there's a few examples of more than 40 basis points, you know, almost a half a percent reduction in charges. So where it counts, there's a definite benefit there to, to, to customers. And I think we cannot underestimate how important independent non-executive directors have been at the fund board table to start asking some very awkward questions, questions about what we charge, questions about performance. And it's, it's a really timely reminder of what it means to be a fiduciary and being a fiduciary with a, with a very much a, a awareness of the fact that there is an investor at the end of this chain. Um, and I think that's, that, that's probably the big benefits to customers, obviously from a pounds and pennies perspective, but what will also make a difference is, is just very much looking at things um, independently and, and the, boards, the boards thinking more like fiduciaries. Yes, it, it, it feels to me that there are two aspects of it. There is the, the fee and the cost and the, and, and the pounds and penny aspect that you referenced, but there's this broader, slightly amorphous value conversation. And I think that's going to be tricky to, to, to best show how that gets, to, gets through to the client. But we'll, we, we will talk some more about that in a, in a minute. Let's now turn to what we're calling the year two um, planning. Lots of uh, FPC members, lots of our corporate members are well into that process, are starting to think about what should the report in the second year look like. From your perspective and some of the work that you've been doing recently, is it going to be markedly different from year one? And if not, then what ought to, what should the board, and, and indeed, as you say, the non-execs, but also this is a heavy lifting work that's being done by the firms themselves. What are you thinking that, or, or what do you think they're thinking and what do you think they're actually doing? I think when it comes to year two, we're probably gonna see three changes and, and they're gonna be style, substance and sustainability. And when it comes to style, because we've had some best practices emerge in terms of what the reports look like and, and, and how they are communicating with people, 
uh, that idea of customer, cent customer centricity, I think that style will probably be adopted by more and more people. The caveat I'd put there is it'll depend on your budget though. You will have some providers who will say, well, you know, I'm, I'm a small provider. I haven't got tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of pounds to go and redesign it. I've got something which is compliant. I've got something which is good enough. And until the regulator tells me different, that's what I'm going to use. So my only caveat is I think people who can afford to and who take it seriously will move to a, a best practice in terms of style. When it comes to substance, I think we will start to see a bit more analysis in a few areas, um, and those will probably be the, the authorized fund manager costs, the economies of scale, and investment performance. And um, you know, the, the excellent FPC event, which Catherine mentioned on the 12th of, October, 12th of November, the regulator telegraphed some very clear messages when it comes to costs and economies of scale that a number of firms might not be hitting the mark. Um, the exam question on costs was, what does it cost you? What do you charge? What is your profit? And is that appropriate? Um, I don't think there's an expectation that your margins go into your reports, but there is an expectation that you talk about it at the board table and it influences where you land on your report and what remedies you may or may not choose to adopt. And economies of scale, I think, is a concept which some firms have skated around and the regulator again has, has communicated more could be done by firms to actually articulate what is that scale point and what would they do when they get there. The last bit of substance, I think, will probably be investment performance. And this is where I think we'll see a, a coming together of some of the work done in policy statement 19.4 and the expectation that firms pull up their socks in terms of what is a fund's objective, what does it do? Some of the reporting in year one was a bit woolly. Um, mm. The fund's objective was to grow well. the fund grew. The fact that it grew by a paltry amount against cash, well, you know, you could still say, well, it grew. And I think the regulator will probably, when they do give some feedback, which may only be after the summer, um, will probably have something to say about that. But, but I would expect this whole idea of looking at funds from the perspective of what, what could an investor reasonably have expected versus what you, you think you could reasonably get away for with as a minimum. I think that gap is going to be is probably going to be addressed. We hope you enjoyed that uh, 15 minute excerpt. If you did and you'd like to find out more about how you can access the full recording uh, or about FBC membership in general, please contact us via our website at funboards.org.